Well, a very good afternoon to you. Hello. If we've not managed to meet, my name is John. I'm part of the team. Two things before I get going. One, is anyone else thinking, if you're going to merge Pete and B's name, Beat is better than P, I think is worth saying. Beat is better than P. The second thing I want to say is, is before we get going, I just want to have a moment to honor a part of our community who tires, tirelessly work. They work week in, week out for so many years. There's 80 plus men and women who do so much behind the scenes to see breakthrough every weekend, and that is obviously the KXC Fantasy Football League that is happening online. We're a third of the way through the season, and I just thought it'd be helpful for us to get a snapshot, see how it's going, what the top of the leaderboard looks like, who's seeing success, and, and it, I think it's only right to, to honor, to celebrate where people are doing well. That's part of our culture here at KXC. So let's just get that up on the screen. Um, that's the top 12 or so. Maybe, maybe you can't see it at the, at, the, at the very back. If we go to the next slide, you just see the top three. Oh, that is so embarrassing. That is embarrassing, making all things new. That is John Carter, and he is having an absolute stormer. And that is me, if the joke was lost on you. Um, enough of the distractions. Let's, let's pray before we start. It's not too late to get involved, by the way. If you've got a fancy football team, come find me afterwards. We'll get you in the league. Let's pray. We need, we need more of the Lord. We need less of me. Holy Spirit, Lord, we invite your presence now. Holy Spirit, come. For those in this room who are feeling weary, who need a breakthrough of your presence to experience the life that you give, Lord, I pray that that would happen today. For those who need to be energized who need to be sent out into the world, Lord, would you come and do that? But Lord, come and reveal yourself. That is what we're asking for. Come and reveal yourself in and through your scripture as we dwell on your word this afternoon. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in this powerful series, this series called God With Us, and we're about to ramp up to Christmas, as you heard. Any trees or decorations up in the house? That is early. That is early, guys. I respect that. Any mince pies been had? Okay, that's more okay. I think we're all, we're all in that place. We're on this ramp up to Christmas, and there's that famous scripture that comes up in all these carol services about the birth of Jesus in Matthew, quoting Isaiah, says this, Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. They put it in the scripture just to help us out, God with us. The most profound and amazing thing that has happened in human history is that God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself. The creator of the universe was born. The ruler of the heavens and the earth made his first steps in front of proud parents. The hope of the world said his first words. God with us is a person and his name is Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to see what he's doing, if you want to feel his heart, we just need to look at who Jesus is, see what he's doing, what is he like, how does he treat the people around him. And that's what these weeks are all about, to linger just a little bit longer at how Jesus treated the people around him to understand the kind of God that we have. Not so we have some more head knowledge, but that we might fall in love again, that we might get a glimpse of his heart and that that might change us. That is what we're on. That is the journey that we are going on. And here's my conviction over these past few weeks is that if the vision of the church gets too far away from the mission of God, then we've got a problem. 
we have a problem. The vision of the church, the purpose, the direction of this beautiful family that God calls his church, and the mission of God, the purposes of what God is doing in his world, if the space between those grows too far, at best, we create a distraction, and at worst, we create an enormous amount of pain, of confusion, of hurt. And the best place to see the mission of God is in the person of Jesus in the simple interactions that he has with the people around him. So we've looked at Jesus with sinners. Damalola beautifully opened up this series about what's he like with the fragile, the broken, all of us, by the way. God's mission towards those who struggle with the everyday of living in a fallen world. Of Jesus with the poor, Tyler spent some time on a revelation of how God's heart breaks for those around him that the world so often forgets. Jesus with women that he radically flips culture on its head with the sick, that he has a heart to heal more than that, just to be with those who are broken, who are hurting. And then the next few weeks, we want to look at Jesus with his disciples, with those who are closest to him, with the rulers, the authorities of the day. And today, we want to be lingering on how was Jesus with the Gentiles. Now, you'd be forgiven for either not knowing that term, or maybe you've heard it once or twice before, but you're not entirely sure what that means. So we're going to start today with a theology and a linguistic lesson. Are you excited about that? Yeah, that's right. Let's start with the theology lesson. So, the story of God's people, Israel. Stay with me. I see you. There's a story that begins right at the start, as it so often does in Genesis, in creation. And if you've been here for longer than this week, you would have seen this slide go up, and it's going to help us for this lesson. It's a story that begins with creation. God creating everything, the heavens and the earth, all of creation itself. And crucially for us today, God created all of humankind. All of humankind as a love song, an overflow of his creation, he created humankind, a people who were in full relationship with him, living in freedom, in joy, fully alive, if you're Pete Hughes. That is what the story that we are in, a stunning picture of unity between his people and with God. We see him walking and talking in the cool of the day. And we know, right, it all goes wrong. His creation are far more interested in going in their own direction, in walking in their own way. And the unraveling of creation begins, decreation. And I just want to personalize this for a minute, remove it from this big narrative idea. This is our story. This is our story, right? This is my story. This is your story. Time and time again, we choose to go in our own direction. We walk our own way. And yet God has a plan. He has a plan. And this is what we read about in the rest of Scripture. And towards the end of our story, there's this picture of restoration, of redemption, a picture of recreation. And if you haven't read this book, if you haven't read Scripture, read it. Get to know it. At times it's hard, but it is a wild read. It is a wild read. So what we read about in the Old Testament is God choosing a nation. He chooses a people, the nation of Israel, to be his people. It says this in Exodus 6. It says, you will be my people and I will be your God. This is a covenant relationship of complete devotion to one another. And in our cultural reference point, this this feels totally unfair. Why does he choose one people group? Surely we know that he chooses everyone, but he chooses the one. It feels so unfair. It feels choosy. It feels exclusive. And it's what theologians call the scandal of the particular, that the creator of the universe 
who is everything for everyone, everywhere, all the time, chooses a particular people at a particular time in a particular place to pour out his blessing. And we see this all throughout the story, right? We see it in the people of God in the Old Testament, a particular nation for a particular time. We see it in Jesus, who is around at a particular point in time. He's in a particular place, seeing real people who he has relationship with. We see it in the early church. They were sent out into the world under a particular rule and reign to see real people in real places come to know the goodness of God. We see it today. We see revivals break out. God's presence, his blessing poured out on particular people in particular places at a particular time. The hugeness of God, his unboundaried love contained He chooses to contain it in these moments, in these people. The scandal of the particular, it feels so unfair. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker of God's plan. It never ends there. It never ends there. The promise isn't to bless the people, full stop. The promise is to bless so that they might be a blessing. That is the promise. And we see it all the way through. Again, the people of God, it says this in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'm going to do all of those things. And, crucially, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Suddenly, the stakes feel pretty high now. It's going to happen through you. Jesus says this in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. That's incredible. Why? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, not just so that I experience the blessing of God, so that I can do this stuff, so that I can see breakthrough happen, so that I can see the kingdom poured out. In the early church, we read it again, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. This is where we get drafted into the story, by the way. Therefore, go. Don't stay. Go. And make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey and so on. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. But go. Don't stay. Don't keep it for yourself. The scandal of the particular becomes far more like the commission of the blessed. You are blessed so that you go. You go. And if you only take one thing from today, if you ignore the rest of my talk, you would be forgiven for that. Take this. You are blessed so that you may be a blessing. It was never just for you. It was never just for you. It was never just for this room. It was always for this city. It was always for the nation, for the world. You are called to go. You are called to go. You may not feel like you're experiencing blessing right now as you walk into this room, but as you've stepped into this place, if you've you've taken an active step to be here, you're placing yourself in the family of God today. You might have limped your way in here. You might have had to crawl your way into this room, but you are here. If you sung a word of worship that we had earlier on, you might not have sung well. It might have sounded pretty croaky. It might have been the faintest whisper, but you have declared the goodness of God in that moment. If you prayed prayers to God today, this week, it might have come with so much doubt, but you have put some faith in God. He can work with that. He can work with just the tiniest ounce It's an incredible calling to be blessed, but you are blessed to be a blessing. That was our theology lesson over. All good? Hands up if you feel good about that. Yes, love that. Wow. Okay, all with me. So, we're not done. We've got a linguistic lesson. I said that before. You'll be pleased to hear this is much shorter. Israel were the people of God, the nation of God. But to go all the way back to where I started, we need to contend with this word, Gentile. 
It's this English word that we get from Hebrew, which, mean, which says goyim. It literally means the nations. So we have the nation of Israel, God's people, and we have the nations, the Gentiles, literally everyone else. The nation, God's people, and the nations, every single other person. Before we launch into seeing how Jesus interacts with this group, I think we just need to understand the profound otherness of this group, the Gentiles. It's, it's not like a version of difference, right? This is the very definition of them and us. It's God's people and everyone else. And we're going to see in a minute why that matters so much. Linguistic lesson over. Harmless. That one was easier. Much easier. So for the second half of our time, I just want to hone in on one encounter that Jesus has with a Gentile. Because here's why this term is so important and significant for us and why we've just taken so long to get here. Because we read some of these stories in the Gospels, we listen to them week in, week out, and we miss the outrageous, the offensive otherness of God. We come to these scriptures with our own expectations, our own rules, our own ideas of what God needs to honor, and instead, we're met with a heart and a posture that should profoundly grow and challenge our own. That is what we're met with. So we're going to focus in on, on a story that comes about halfway through the Gospel of Matthew. Christine is going to come and read it for us. And we're going to briefly get into it, and then I just want to draw out some of what I think God is inviting us into. So it's going to come up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible in front of you, Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Thank you. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat, at the, cr eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Amazing. Thanks, Christine. Let's give a round of applause. So, there's this fascinating little interaction, and there's so much wrapped, in it, uh, wrapped up in it. And we're going to work through it. But as we go, I just want us to bear in mind how rare this encounter would have been. Jesus' ministry that we read about, week in, week out, that we've heard so far, was almost exclusively with the people that he was part of, with his disciples, with the teachers of the law. He was healing and ministering with those who were in the towns and cities of Israel. But there are these little moments, these glimpses, these breakthrough moments where we see his heart for the other, his heart for the Gentile, and we should pay attention when they happen. Moments like the healing of the centurion's servant, the deliverance of a man who has so many demons that they're called legion. There are so many of them. And there are these moments and that reveal the heart of God. And here's my sense of what we see time and time again when you read almost each and every single one of these. Jesus breaks expectations. We come with a set of expectations and he breaks them down. He breaks down barriers to engage with those who you might not expect him to, and he breaks through. 
we see his kingdom break through and break out. So we're going to start with breaking expectations. And let's go back to the scandal of the particular that I was talking about at the beginning. We know that throughout the Old Testament, the people of God, they turn away from God again and again and again. But we also know that the mission of Jesus was to redeem that relationship, right? To restore his covenant with his people. How do we know that? Jesus says it right here. He says, I was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. You see, this woman, this extraordinary unnamed woman of faith, will have heard about Jesus from afar. She would have heard the stories of what he was doing in Galilee and the towns around, the miracles, the healing, and she knew that she needed it. It wasn't just like it would be really fun to engage in that. She needed it. She needed it. Her daughter was so sick and unwell. She needed it. But there was a problem. Jesus' ministry was with his people, right? That's what he was doing with the lost sheep of Israel. The disciples knew that. How do we know it? It says, send her away. They just want her gone. She de- she's a distraction. She keeps crying out after them. Jesus knew it because he, d- he declares what his mission was, that I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel, and she knew it. How do we know that she knows it? He's, she says, Lord, son of David, a declaration of honor, a declaration of his title that spoke to his purpose and his mission, his lineage, where he was from and why he was here. And yet, after this beautiful exchange, he does heal. He still does it. And again, we need to do a little bit of theological work here. I said it was only at the beginning. There's a little bit more. It's exciting, isn't it? Because at first glance, it's pretty intense what he's saying. Like, if you go back and read this, it's pretty intense, this exchange. So after the disciples, they fob her off. She falls at the feet of Jesus, a posture of desperation, of worship. Like, feel the emotion of this moment. She just falls at his knees, on her knees. She's crumpled in a mess. She needs his breakthrough. Lord, help me. And Jesus replies, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now that is full on. And at first glance, it's exactly how you might imagine that would go down. And here's why. The Gentiles, especially the Canaanites, this is what this woman is, they were seen not just as other, but as so offensively other that it was spiritually unclean just to be in their presence. So terms like dog where the Greek word kuon, it means like wild dog, squalid dog, like a street dog who goes around trying to find scraps of food that they can devour, that they can just, yeah, it's an awful, horrible term. And it's the word Paul uses when he says things like, look out for the dogs, this is in Philippians, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It was so offensive, it was so demeaning and sadly one that everyone would have understood and known. But here's the thing, that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say that you're a kuon. He doesn't say it's not right to take the children's bread, toss it to the stray dogs roaming on the streets. He flips it and uses a completely different word. He likens the Gentiles in this moment. He likens this woman in this moment, not to stray dogs, but to Canarian, like an adorable pet, part of the family, part of the home, welcome at the table, roaming around, friends with everyone. Why does he need to do that? Why does he need to do it so that we 
thousands of years later, read this and still feel jarred because it feels so offensive. And nearly every scholar who who looks at this says he was offering her an opportunity to name, not just in front of Jesus, but in front of his disciples, what his true mission was. Not just to save God's people, not limited to the few, but in a minute, in a few chapters' time, it's going to explode to everyone. Everyone is welcome at the table. Everyone can come and feast at the table of Jesus. That is what he's inviting them into, and her response is absolutely on the money. She says that it, this, it, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is. Lord, it is right. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What this woman is prophetically declaring in this moment is what Jesus is about to do, to send his people out. That is what we're about to read about in a few chapters' time. Go, go and make disciples of all nations, not just of a nation. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's too good. It's too powerful to be contained in one people in one place. Go, you go and do this. And he responds to her incredible faith with his beautiful faithfulness. That is what he's doing in this encounter. A moment of incredible breakthrough in this woman's life marked by the breaking down of expectation, the expectation of the disciples, the expectation that people who would onlook, who would listen to this story in the years to come were having in the back of their mind. And the disciples would have been absolutely astounded. You can't do that. You can't do that. She's a distraction. She's not meant to be here. Why are you even engaging with her? Send her away. Or if you have to, heal and then get rid of her. Just get rid of her. And Jesus responds not in the way that anyone expected, but with love, with grace, with his power poured out into her life. Honest question. What are your expectations of God? What do you believe the limits of his love are in your life? What do you believe the limits of his grace are in those that you love? How much do you think he's willing to do? I know for me, time and time again, I fall into this trap. I discount what God might want to do, what he might want to heal, how he might want to break in. I put the limit on him. I put the limit on what he might want to do in this place or out in the world. And yet time and time again, Jesus breaks through any expectation that we place on him. He breaks through our expectations and breaks them down. Not only that, he breaks down the barriers that would ordinarily be in the way of him and this woman meeting in the first place. Let's look at where this encounter even is, right back to the top. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this isn't the first time that these places would have come up. Um, They were contested cities. They were Gentile cities that were constantly pursued by God. If you know your Old Testament scriptures, they were constantly pursued and yet consistently rejected God. And if you flick back to Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet, he talks about this. He talks about um, these places that were just they stored up possessions. They stored up riches. They weren't there for the glorification of God. These are accursed cities. These are places where you should not go. Jesus himself talks about them a few chapters earlier, and this is where this passage actually gets to where we're, what we're trying to do here. Jesus doing amazing things in the Israelite towns and cities around the region. He says this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Woe to you, Cherazim. 
Woe to you, Bethsaida. And just as a side note, we should bring that back into normal conversation. If you're just unhappy with someone, woe to you. I think that would go down well. Woe to you. In other words, I expected better from you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. For the mighty works done in you, have, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. I expected better. I expected to be rejected in Tyre and Sidon, the Gentile cities, but not by you. But not by you. That was the measure of these cities. So Jesus is stepping into Gentile land, and that matters Why does it matter? Because to even step into Gentile land was to step into uncleanliness. It was to be spiritually unclean. But Jesus obliterates this physical barrier that this woman would have had to get to him. Not by demanding that she comes to him. Not by finding neutral ground where they can meet and he can do something. By going into her land. By going to her. Going to her suffering. And being willing to work in that. And I just want to ground this in our family here at Kirksey for a minute. Here's the lie that I see floating around a fair bit. Not only that, but experience myself so often. And here's the lie. Until I feel like I belong, I don't feel like I can welcome another person into this place. Until I feel like I belong here, that I've found home, that I feel welcome, I can't welcome another. And I just want to borrow a little thought from C.S. Lewis here. I want to introduce you to the circle of belonging. That's exciting, isn't it? And this is how so often I, I, I think it, we think it works, is that we're moving towards belonging, that in the center of this family, that in the center of this community, there is somehow belonging to be found. Like if you, if you penetrate enough of those walls, enough of those barriers, get to the center here, you will belong. And here's the truth, it will never happen like that. You'll never reach it. You'll never get to a middle. That middle doesn't exist. Here's how it really should be working. We're all moving towards intimacy with Jesus. That's the goal. The goal isn't belonging just in a family for that sake. The goal is to to have intimacy with Jesus. There is only Jesus. Your security and your belonging is found in him. If you want to find it somewhere else in this family, you're going to be so bitterly disappointed. You're going to be looking for it for years. Find your belonging. Find your security. Find your intimacy in him. He is the measure of belonging. Do you believe that you truly belong here? Do you believe you truly belong at KXC? What barriers, real talk for a minute, what barriers have we put that stop people coming into the presence of Jesus? Are there people that we exclude on the basis of their experience, on the basis of their story, on the basis of their race, on the basis of their background? One of the the roles I had over the last couple of years when we did... Conversations on Race, which was a really powerful series. If you weren't here a couple of years ago, head online and see some of the conversations we were having around race. Was Off the back of that, we introduced uh, a little exercise where for those who wanted to, they could send in their story and their dream. The story of their time here at KXC and their dream for this community and what it could be. And reading through all of those was an incredible privilege and was also immensely painful because of seeing how a community like this can be a really painful one for so many people, as well as a community of faith and a community of hope. But here's the thing that really struck me as I was reading it. The pain was never with Jesus. The pain was never with the Spirit of God. The pain was never with his presence or who he was. The pain was with the church. The pain was with the barriers that we put up 
the royal we here as well, right? The pain was with what the church has done to stop people feeling at home and finding belonging here. The pain was never with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus is the goal. That's where belonging is found. And sometimes we get in the way. Sometimes we create pain. And that's because the vision of the church isn't fully aligned with the mission of God. And we're so trying to make those, that gap come smaller. But Jesus, he's where belonging is found. He's always good. He's always true. Honestly, 10 years into the story of KXC, being on a staff team for half of that, standing up here most weeks, I sometimes question whether I truly belong. I question whether I fully know everyone else, whether I'm known. Much of that is my own insecurity, by the way, but some of it is buying into a lie that belonging can be found in the center of this community, a type of person to become, and it is a lie. It's dangerous. It's painful. The vision is Jesus. The direction is Jesus. The destination is Jesus. And the means is by the presence of Jesus. That is the goal here. Everyone is welcome. Even more than that, everyone has to be welcome. Everyone has to be welcome. If the vision of the church is to meet the mission of God, everyone has to be welcome. Anna said a couple of years ago, and it really struck me, if the the church has to be the church it was called to be so that the world can be the world it was created to be. Like, we need to be the church that we are called to be, not just for our sake, not just to be a blessing, and not to experience the blessing for ourselves, but to be a blessing for the world, so that the world can be all that it was created to be. Jesus breaks down anything that would act as a barrier to those experiencing his love. And lastly, coming into land, you'll be pleased to hear, beyond breaking expectations, beyond breaking down barriers, Jesus breaks through. We see a breakthrough. We see kingdom breakthrough. We see a healing. It's easy to miss the most remarkable part of this encounter. Jesus heals this woman's daughter. We read this stuff so often. We hear it so often that we miss it. He healed her daughter. And here's the risk. When the breakthrough of God is normalized to the point of numbness, that erodes our faith. That erodes our faith. And if there's one thing that this woman has, it is faith. She has faith beyond belief. She will not take no for an answer. She can't take no for an answer. She is desperate. Jesus isn't just a holy helper in this moment. He is the only hope that she has. He is the only hope she has. One theologian puts it like this. He says this, and it just summarizes the whole piece. This woman brought to Christ, great language, by the way, as well, a gallant and audacious love, a faith which grew until it worshipped at the feet of the divine at his feet, an indomitable persistence springing up from an unconquerable hope, a cheerfulness which would not be dismayed. That is a faith which cannot help finding an answer to its prayers. She couldn't help but find an answer to his prayers because he said, you have extraordinary faith, I want to bless that. You have extraordinary faith, I want to bless that. We get so comfortable, so comfortable at finding an answer in every corner imaginable that we forget that Jesus is the only hope. He's not a source of hope, he is the only hope. Are you longing for breakthrough? Do you need breakthrough in your life? Do you need healing? Do you long for God to move in your family? Are you waiting for that miracle at work? Come with the tiniest bit of faith. He can work with that, but come with faith. Come with faith. An ounce of belief that you might carry right now. Present it to the living God. Ask that he might want to break in and break through.
you know, my senses, and we, as we were worshiping before, I, I just think there are people in this room who there's like a battle in your life. Like, do, should I be in the room or should I not? Do I need to see breakthrough in my life or could I just do without it? Is it too much of a hassle? There'll be people in this room who feel on the edge. There'll be people in this room who feel like you're on the outside looking in. You're longing for breakthrough. Here's my sense. There is an invitation tonight. Don't let it go. Don't walk out, come back next week and see what he might want to do then. There is an invitation tonight. An invitation not just of breakthrough but of encounter. To encounter the living God. To encounter his love. To encounter his grace. Don't leave this place without saying yes to that invitation.